from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, a flurry of activity on Capitol Hill today. Even as we speak, the House has begun a series of amendment votes on the appropriations bills. But agreement within the Republican ranks on a temporary funding measure for the federal government has not yet been reached. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill a little bit later from Lawrence Wilson, national politics reporter for Epoch Times. Earlier today, the House Oversight and Accountability Committee held the first inquiry hearing into the impeachment of President Joe Biden. The Biden family sold access to Joe Biden's power and the Biden Justice Department protected the Biden brand. We must continue to follow the facts. That was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Jason Smith, who was a part of today's hearing. We're going to get a readout on the hearing from one of the committee members. Texas Congressman Pete Sessions joins me a little bit later in the program. And President Biden continues to refuse to meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Not only does he not want to discuss government spending cuts, but he doesn't want to talk about changes in border policy to address the uncontrollable surge at the southern border, which, by the way, Democrats say doesn't exist. But just to get some clarity on this, and, and sure, that's a conversation for another day, but are, do you think that the border is secure? I just, do, is that what you said? Yes, the border is secure. And we're in the midst of a humanitarian crisis that has been created by a broken system. Uh, that was uh, Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. The, the border is secure, but there's a humanitarian crisis. Um, okay. We're going to talk about it with Oklahoma Senator James Langford in just a moment. And last night at the second Republican debate, the candidates actually made some news. And I think we should stand for what we believe in. I think we should hold the Democrats accountable for their extremism, supporting abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. That is infanticide and that is wrong. That was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, as governor of Florida, has signed a heartbeat bill. But this was news last night in that he supports a heartbeat bill, or rather a pain bill, 14, a 15-week pain bill at the national level. That's news. FRC's Brent Kylan will join me for a look at where the candidates stand on the key issues. And, you know, I'm often asked this, Tony, what can we do to help make a difference in our nation? Well, first, that's a great question. Because we can all, and I do mean all, do something. Well, Tim Throckmorton, National Director for Community Impact at the Family Research Council, will help answer that question later on this edition of Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. We have uh, resources, information, and links to our guest at TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and uh, visit there. And the Capital Switchboard number, 202 224-3121. You should have that in your phones by now, but just in case, 202-224-3121. Our word for today comes from Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, Christ died for us when we were enemies of God. That is how much he loves us. Now, 
having been justified and reconciled to God, which means we're no longer enemies. God is not against us. He's actually for us, and he won't leave us. That means we don't have to fear what is to come, whatever it might be. God is with us, and he'll never forsake us. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. As federal budget negotiations continue to stall, the chaos at our southern border has emerged as a key issue for the impasse. With more than 10,000 migrants a day pouring over the border, conservatives in Congress have called for their signature border bill, known as H.R. 2, to join with funding cuts as a part of any stopgap funding measure. Joining me now to discuss the situation at our southern border and more is Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Finance Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Senator, Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Tony, always great to see you as well. Thanks for the work you're doing. Appreciate that. Um, so you've been to the border recently, um, and this is something you've been speaking out on for quite some time. It, we have 10 to 11,000 migrants crossing the border daily. Now, you've highlighted the flaws in how the Department of Homeland Security is handling the situation. I mean, give us a read on what you see and whether or not there's an end to this in sight. Yeah, right now, there's not an end to this in sight. Of course, we go back to May. The administration said the plane is working. The numbers are down. We've got this at hand until it suddenly was not. We had said all along in May this was a temporary dip that was actually managed by the cartels choking down the border not by the Biden administration and their policies, because I can remind you, the border is secure. It's just secure on the south side of the border. You don't cross the border without paying the cartels or they'll kill you. And so that number is really affected by what the cartels are putting across on a day to day basis and a very loose policy from the United States that's been very permissive for people to be able to come across in their thousands. So we're continuing to see people literally from all over the world coming and paying cartels the fee to be able to get across the border. And the Biden administration is releasing them into the country within hours of when they're crossing. And they're somewhere in the country, literally unmanaged. We have no idea who their criminal record is, anything else about them, but they're just being released over and over again. We are trying to just choke this down to say we like legal immigration, but we are strongly opposed to illegal immigration. So how do you explain the fact that you've got governors and and, and mayors that are along the border that have taken actions to try and stem, to, 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 to stop this flow of illegal immigration. But the Biden administration is actually stopping them, going fighting those governors trying to protect their state borders with Mexico. I mean, how do you explain that? Yeah, it's unexplainable right now because, again, multiple states, Texas is a great example where they're putting up concertina wire. They're trying to just discourage people from coming across. And literally, the Biden administration is ordering folks to be able to cut the concertina wire to be able to let more people in. Their focus really is about processing people into the country as fast as possible rather than deterring people from actually coming across the border. This is an issue that they are abusing the asylum system. Everyone knows they're abusing the asylum system. But yet the Biden administration won't step up and support actually fixing that definition of what asylum means. That's the key piece that has to be resolved so that we can actually tell people, hey, you don't qualify for asylum. If you want to come to the United States, we welcome people from all over the world. You just have to legally apply to go through that process and do some vetting. You just can't come across the border and be released a few hours later. That should not be what any country is like. 
So, Senator, as a part of the Homeland Security Committee in the Senate, how concerned are you from, you know, and a lot of these folks are coming over for economic purposes, but mixed in with them are those who uh, have evil intent. How, how concerned are you about national security? I'm extremely concerned. In fact, that's one of the areas I continue to be able to express with the administration, with Ali Mayorkas and the White House team, is to say you should pay more attention to national security issues on this when they seem to be very flippant about it. The last time I was at the border just weeks ago, the main comment from the Border Patrol is what's shifted now is the number of people that are non-Spanish speakers that are coming across from West Africa, from the Middle East, from Pakistan, from Russia, from China, areas that are not typically coming across. These are individuals coming. They're just saying their name. They're saying their country. They're being released into our country. We're checking against the terror watch list. But even if the people they travel with are not on the terror watch list, but there is a terrorist in the middle of them, the terror, the person on the terror watch list is being pulled out. But all the people traveling with them are just being released in the country. Now, I don't know how often Sunday school teachers travel with people in the terror watch list. But literally, if one person, we had a situation not long ago where a Russian was pulled out who was on the terror watch list, other Russians traveling with them were released in the country, but one was actually pulled out. It's a huge national security risk that this administration is actually participating in, just hoping that nothing turns out bad. That's a terrible strategy. Well, the, the, the data would suggest that things bad things are happening as we see uptick in crime uh, related to some of these border crossings. So, Senator Langford, are, are Republicans uh, right in attaching the border security issue to the debate over government funding? Yeah, right now, Republicans are just looking for every place they can to actually get the administration's attention on this. I'm not a fan of government shutdowns. Government shutdowns really hurt Border Patrol agents and others at our border. Uh, they lose their pay during that time period. They're going to lose contractors. There's all kinds of things that will be lost for them. So it's make a really difficult job for them even harder at that point. And it'll take morale from where it already is now as low to even lower when they're not getting a check. So it is difficult for Border Patrol. We need to find other places to be able to find leverage on this. But I would tell you right now, Republicans are just asking the question, if this administration won't do anything to be able to stop the border crisis, how do we get their attention to be able to focus in on this, to just deal with things that are obvious to everyone, but they refuse to acknowledge it? I would think that the president should meet with the House Speaker. He's asked to meet to discuss government funding and the border crisis, but the president has refused to meet. Yeah. This is what Washington, D.C. is supposed to do, what the American people expect us to do. People with differing opinions in Washington, D.C., sitting down, working out our differences and trying to be able to solve problems. America doesn't have a past where just one voice gets heard and runs over everyone else. All voices are supposed to be heard. So for the president to say, I don't want to hear half of Americans that oppose me, which, quite frankly, is much larger than that on immigration. The vast majority of Americans disagree with the president's immigration policy. He doesn't want to hear a differing opinion on that. Is counter to just basically what our republic is built on. Multiple voices sitting down, working out our differences, finding a solution and moving forward. You We've know, got to sit down like grownups and actually uh, resolve the problems here. You know, th that situation has only gotten worse. And, you know, you've been here in D.C. almost as long as I have. But it's, it's gotten worse over the last uh, decade and a half. We, we, we don't talk to one another. We talk at each other is primarily what we see happening between the two political parties. Now, I know behind the scenes there's friendships and there's conversations, but we don't see that publicly. 
We need to. This is one of those areas, and for this White House in particular, they've been particularly reclusive, where the president's just not meeting with a lot of members all the time and is very limited on his schedule. That makes it much tougher to actually negotiate hard issues when you have that situation. But for every White House and the House and the Senate, those leaders should be able to sit down on a regular basis to be able to talk, to be able to visit. It's the same thing. And there are people that agree or disagree with Chuck Schumer and with Mitch McConnell. But we should agree that yeah. two of them should be sitting down and talking often. You should have the same thing in the House of Representatives with the speaker and with the minority leader to be able to sit down and to be able to talk through all the different issues. Right. That should be typical for us to be able to talk this out because that's the nature of our republic to be able to work things out. Um, 30 seconds left. By the way, nice suit that you're wearing there, Senator. And I understand that that's back to the uniform of the day. We're no longer having gym shorts and uh, tennis shoes in the Senate chamber. You know, at least the Senate can do something. Last night, the Senate actually put back in the dress code that all Americans assumed was there and should have been there. Basic decorum shouldn't be something that we have to actually pass something in the Senate to be able to solve. But yeah, last night there was a passage in the Senate late to be able to say we're back to suits and ties shorts and hoodies should not be appropriate in the united states senate we we are the united states of america we should be setting the example for the world and actually not only do things respectful but actually appear to be respectful to each other in the way that we dress why don't we set a standard that'd be a new thing for the senate well and there was agreement on that so maybe we're making progress senator james langford always great to see you thanks so much for joining us good to see you as well All right, Senator Langford of Oklahoma. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what's happening with uh, Senator Fetterman. I mean, he's going to have to wear a suit. Wow. All right. Don't go away. Next, Congressman Pete Sessions joins us to talk about the inquiry into impeachment. That's next. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, the impeachment inquiry against uh, President Biden for his alleged involvement with his family in influence peddling to foreign actors began this morning in a hearing held before the House Committee for Oversight and Accountability. Fireworks began almost immediately with the Democrats on the committee calling the inquiry a sham. Now, this despite the fact that there are bank statements, emails, and text messages indicating both the president's involvement and the receipt of millions, millions of dollars by his family, selling the Biden brand. What else did we learn from today's hearing? Well, joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Pete Sessions. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability and the House Financial Services Committee. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Sessions, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Tony, thank you very much. Your listeners are going to be very eager to hear not only the report from today, but how we believe it's important to hold the line on criminal behavior in the White House. Well, Congressman, let's start right there. This was the first uh, inquiry hearing. Your reaction to today's opening round, what, uh, what was uncovered or what, what took place? Tony, thank you very much. The essence of our opening of this from the Government Reform and Oversight Committee is that we are attempting to discover and to learn about the government and decisions that were made by this government, including the Department of Justice, including the Treasury Department, and including... Uh, perhaps even people inside the White House who have cast a net around the need to protect not just Hunter Biden, but the president himself. And numerous decisions have been made by the Treasury Department, the Department of Justice, not to pursue the matters as it related to criminal behavior by not just Hunter Biden, but the association that he has with the then vice president, president of the United States. And so what we're attempting to do is gain information 
information that will need to be, be it will need to be given to the Congress under the auspices of us seeking this information with an official inquiry that the American people understand. And just like President Trump, when he was in office, the Department of Justice provided reams of data to the impeachment, not just committee, but that investigation. And this is what we have been fighting about for the last nine months, to receive information about questions that the Department of Justice, the IRS, and the Department of Treasury are engaged in about how they followed the leads and information, not just related to Hunter Biden's laptop, but actually trails that would be done under normal criminal investigation. Uh, Congressman, I watched your questioning, and it was along those lines of uh, the, the role of government in, in what did the IRS, what uh, DOJ. And, and you know a little bit about that. Your father was the director of the FBI years ago, so you've been around this f for a while. Some say and uh, that, that Hunter Biden was selling the brand, the family access to the family and the Department of Justice protecting it. Do you do you see the government that the Biden administration was using government to protect them from being investigated? Well, let, let's simply tell the truth here. This goes back a number of years when Mr. Biden was vice president. And then the money that has flowed that came through in bank transactions that were really uncovered only in the last two years. And as part of that cover-up that took place by the Treasury Department and the Department of Justice, ever since the president took office, there were decisions made not to move forward to gain access, information, or even questioning those uh, issues. They even protected Hunter Biden himself, as you know, the White House and the during the campaign, there were some 60 former intelligence officials who said it was not true that Hunter Biden uh, owned the laptop that became apparent. Well, that was not truthful. We have since then found out that there are people from the Department of Justice that have stymied the IRS and other criminal investigators from following through on the open leads that they had, up to and including Mr. Weiss, who was uh, the U.S. attorney uh, there in Delaware, holding information until the time ran out to prosecute Hunter Biden. And the pressure got so loud that they had a secret VIP entrance into the Department of Justice to the court system and they were going to charge him with a misdemeanor of what should be a felony charge and completely ignored the IRS implication. So the federal judge said, no, I'm not gonna accept that because it's not followed a process that should have been followed. And ever since then, things have gone downhill for Hunter so Biden and the Department of Justice. Let me ask you this, Congressman Sessions, because I, I mean, I, I see this repeatedly in the press. The, the AP was out with a story almost immediately after the hearing began today. And, and I see this line in almost every media report. So I'm, I'm saying this because I don't think people should be paying attention to the legacy media. But this was from the AP. Uh, Republicans have been investigating Hunter Biden for years since his father was vice president. While questions have risen, arisen 
about the ethics surrounding the Biden family's international businesses. This is this is the key part. No evidence has emerged so far to prove that Joe Biden in his current or previous office abused his role or accepted bribes. Now, we, we know we haven't proved that yet, but that's a part of the inquiry. They're suggesting that this is all simply a witch hunt, uh, uh, just chasing squirrels, not doing the business of the people. You want to respond to that? I do, Mr. Perkins, and thank you very much. It's very appropriate, and that is part of the dialogue that we are having presently with experts who have served in the Department of Justice, who are uh, viewers of the Constitution and of the process that we're going through. The bottom line is, is that the Department of Justice blocked frontline investigators, criminal investigators, from knowing more about the source of the money, of investigating and asking questions of people, mm-hmm. and perhaps even up to and including making sure that Hunter Biden and his lawyers knew ahead of time what to claim, what to wait for, and what sweetheart deal would be involved. Right. But the bottom line is, is that these investigators were precluded by the Department of Justice of figuring out who the big guy was. Right and where he was located when Hunter Biden made many and, of these And that's, that's why the inquiry is justified. Even uh, Jonathan Turley said it re- rises to the level of an inquiry. Congressman, we got to leave it there. We're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you. Folks, stick around. We're coming back with more after this. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro-life men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. website tonyperkins.com be sure and check it out lots of information there for you and contact for uh, all of our guests the uh, the house 
of Representatives. They're actually voting now. As I mentioned at the top of the program, they're going through a series of amendment votes and may may get to uh, one of the underlying appropriations bills tonight. They're going to be working again late tonight. But behind the scenes, the House leadership continues uh, to try and pull together agreement among Republicans for a temporary funding bill. But so far, not coming together for him. Joining me now with an update from Capitol Hill is Epoch Times national politics reporter Lawrence Wilson. Lawrence, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. Great to be here. So I know you've been tracking this uh, all week. Everybody's kind of waiting to see if we uh, get something before Saturday night. What's the latest you're hearing? Well, it's it's a lot of incremental slow progress uh, today on Capitol Hill. You know, the, re, the, the Republicans in the House are putting forward these several appropriations bills. Speaker McCarthy seems to want to do that before bringing a continuing funding resolution. I think the idea is to gain some momentum so that if he can show progress there, show the fiscal hardliners in his caucus that he's actually using the process, he's going to let them get their votes on the remaining bills, maybe then he'll have about easier time getting that continuing resolution passed. That kind yeah. of hit a snag today as one of the bills, the agriculture or Department of Agriculture bill. Now that includes the FDA funding for both of those agencies. Uh, that includes a provision that would ban the mail order sale of mifepristone, which is an abor- abortion inducing drug. That's very important to many of the conservative members, pro-life members. And so that uh, would have seemed to have been no problem with the Republican caucus. But some House moderates have objected to that. These are Republicans in swing districts. So uh, there's a concern that uh, voting for this rather restrictive abortion provision according to some, would uh, really endanger their seats in the next election. So the speaker was going to pull that vote, not vote on the ag bill, punt that till maybe after a continuing resolution was passed. But apparently, after some other objections from House members, it looks like they may go ahead with that bill uh, tonight. And that would be an up or down vote on the agriculture bill with the Mifepristone ban in there. So that's kind of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, That's a that's a big issue, as you point out, for for pro-life. I mean, I actually spoke with the speaker about that over the weekend and and in fact, talked to some leadership today that still that is was in the original bill still there. But there's some other problems uh, with the ag bill for some of the conservatives. But you're right. There's a handful of uh, of moderates, not very many, but it doesn't take many. Uh, at this point to to derail yeah. one of the, the, the bills. The, of course, I, I think you're absolutely right. They're trying to get a little momentum and buy some time because there's still about 10 holdouts on a continuing resolution based on my conversations. So I, I think the, the, the speaker is trying to get as much time as he can to show momentum, show progress, but also hopeful and prayerful. I think that some of the holdouts will come over. Yeah, and uh, one of our reporters was able to talk with uh, Representative uh, Dusty Johnson, a Republican of South Dakota, yesterday. 
who's been, he's the chairman, as, uh, as you know, of the uh, House Main Street Caucus, and he's been involved in these negotiations with the more conservative members, the, the fiscally conservative group. And that was very much his thinking. If we're building some momentum, this may give us a little bit more trust with the members who are holding out that we can bring them on board and actually get this continuing resolution passed this week. And of course, the deadline is at midnight on Saturday night. Yeah, you you also uh, you you wrote about, and I think you're absolutely right that Senator Schumer and the Democrats uh, advancing their own spending bill. This is an unusual tactic, as the lower chamber typically passes their version of the budget first. Uh, where do you see that going? I mean, the speaker said, "Ain't happening over here." Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, the one senator, at least uh, Kirsten Cinema, independent senator from uh, Arizona, has been trying to get some provisions added to that bill that would maybe make it a little bit more acceptable to uh, to uh, folks on the House side. Uh, including many Republicans, and she's trying to add some border defense measures to that bill in an attempt to make that package a little bit more acceptable. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, uh, I think the logic is nobody really wants a shutdown. Now, some members, uh, the real fiscal conservatives, they're willing to risk it, but nobody really wants that to happen. Uh, that's when the soldiers, sailors, and Marines start going without pay and uh, other things like that. It's not a political winner. So they're hoping that by adding a border security provision, uh, that maybe that will just bring them on board and say, look, for six weeks, we'll have to bite the bullet and let's get this appropriation yeah. deal of course, done in that time. Of course, that helps her, too. Uh, she's uh, she's in cycle and Arizona is one of the states that's being overrun. Uh, Lawrence, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate your insights uh, as we all track what's happening there on Capitol Hill. My pleasure, Tony. Thank you. All right. And by the way, folks, uh, Epoch Times, a great resource for you on news and information. All right. Don't go away. After the break, seven Republican hopefuls squared off in the second GOP presidential debate. And uh, there was one less this time. But we're going to talk about what they had to say. Don't go away. More after this. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation to stand for truth and to seek the Lord first, just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. As I said, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, just want a, a little bit more to uh, add to our conversation we just had with Lawrence uh, about uh, what's happening on Capitol Hill. I, I was talking with some of the leaders, Republican leaders earlier today. They're at an impasse. There, there are some conservatives that just do not want to vote for temporary spending bills because that has been um, a problem in the past. So there's not at present a way forward to keep from having a government shutdown. Now, that's not the end of the world. Uh, but it um, it's going to take them a while to get through all 12 appropriations bills. And then it has to go over to the Senate. Senate has to vote on them. So it's it's uncertain how this is going to uh, to unfold. This is what the request is, that we have people pray. Pray for wisdom for our leaders, that they would know what to do. They would have the courage to do the right thing. And that we would address... The underlying issue here, a nation that has $33 trillion in debt and the concern that many of those have that are not voting to continue the funding is the fact that we're looking at over $2 trillion just in the this year's deficit. That's a lot of money. And it's only going to continue until we address it. So we need to pray because at some point in time, We're going to reach that point that the debt that we have as a nation is unsustainable. I mean, we're reaching a place where with the interest rates as they are, we're reaching a place where the amount of money we have to pay just to service our debt is supplanting so much more that our nation could do 
or tax cuts that we could have. So this is a matter of prayer. It's a moral issue, but it's reflective of a nation. In many ways, it's lost its way. So I encourage you to pray. Well, speaking of a way forward, last night there was a Republican presidential debate. It was a primary debate. This was our second. This time there were seven candidates, one less than last time, Asa Hutchison from Arkansas, former Arkansas governor. I think he was voted off the island. But uh, he didn't actually make he didn't make the cut last night, though. There were some good things said. Uh, I don't know how many people were watching. Wasn't a huge crowd. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made strong stances for life, which was a break from now he's been very good at the state level. But his position has kind of been this is a state issue, not a federal issue. But last night uh, he, um, along with Senator Tim Scott, said that he would support a nas- national legislation that protects unborn children at 15 weeks when they feel pain and when they're sucking their thumb. And also, we saw candidates rejecting the narrative that blames uh, pro-life advocates for the GOP midterm election defeats and called for conservatives to go on the offense on the life issue, letting the American people see who's extreme on this. It is the Democrats who support, they don't want to admit it, but they support abortion up until birth. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Brent Kylan, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives here at the Family Research Council. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. So what was your reaction to last night's uh, Republican uh, primary debate? Tony, I think you really hit the highlights well. Um, There was some discussion on the life issue. We saw a little bit of that in the first Republican debate, and we got a little bit more of that in the second one last night. And the candidates who really were able to speak or or had the most time to speak to it were uh, Governor DeSantis and also uh, Chris Christie. And uh, DeSantis' remarks were very strong on this. As you mentioned, he said he doesn't buy into this narrative that the pro-life community should be blamed for the, uh, the, the GOP's underperformance in 2022 in those midterms. But then what he did is he pivoted and he really went on the offense and he talked about the extreme position of the other side. Tony, I know this is something you've talked about. We've talked about on your program, but this is something we did not see a lot of candidates do last year, which we really should have. They they tried to avoid it. They stayed silent and it really allowed the other side to to shape the whole narrative. And he talked about the fact the mainstream Democrat position is a abortion up until the moment of birth. And he called that infanticide. Uh, and he he called that wrong. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, also kind of the big development there is he did, he had a little exchange there with Tim Scott, who has, uh, Senator Scott has been a, a supporter of that 15-week bill for a while. And he said he too would support that at the federal, uh, federal level, which was kind of a big breakthrough there on the uh, debate stage last night. Now, also, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence has been on the record supporting that measure as well. That's right. That's right. And so support for that really does seem to be growing. You have um, 
Vice President Pence, who has been clear on that from day one uh, since he announced uh, for the presidency. Uh, you have uh, Senator Scott, who who said he would support it shortly after he announced he was going to run. Now you have Governor uh, DeSantis also joining that group. So there's a lot of uh, momentum there. Uh, you do have a couple candidates, even uh, Chris Christie last night was uh, saying he feels like this is a state's rights issue still. But uh, but the candidates saying that, you know, many of them really aren't doing that well in the polls right now. Now, again, I need to make this very clear for our viewers and listeners that when we talk about this pain bill, this 15-week bill uh, at the national level, that does not supplant what states have done, whether it be like Oklahoma at conception or uh, Kentucky or um, Ohio or you know, almost, two, almost 20 states that have uh, greater restrictions like heartbeat, uh, like Florida. So that does not supplant it. It just says at the national level, you, you either have to be stronger than that uh, or that will be the threshold. Unlike the Democrats uh, that have the uh, Women's Health Protection Act that they've introduced, which what the vice president says, this will codify Roe. What it actually does is eliminate all pro-life laws at the state level. So it is a uniform abortion till birth policy for the entire nation. That's what's being pushed by the Democratic Party. Tony, that's exactly right. You know, we we see some in the GOP pushing for this to be a state's issue, leave it to the states. Nobody on the Democrat side is pushing for that as the alternative. Just like you said, their alternative really is uh, abortion up till the moment of birth at taxpayer expense. And and uh, Governor DeSantis called this out last night. He used the word infanticide. I know that sounds kind of extreme to be using that, but we have legislation on that as well. There yeah. was federal legislation right. that would protect unborn babies after they survive a failed abortion. Right. Democrats stopped that at the federal level. And yeah. so that really is the contrast. And, that, that, and that's where the media is, is being disingenuous, if not just flat out lying, because they won't hold the Democratic Party to that. But that is their position. There it is. If a child survives an abortion, the Democratic Party does not want to give that baby medical help and aid. So they want that baby to die. That is infanticide. Uh, Brent, before we run out of time, there is uh, the early voting is already underway in a couple of states because, uh, you know, most states next year's election. But we've got states like Virginia, my home state, of Louisiana. Uh, they have elections coming up and we've got resources available for them via the iVoter Guide. Tell us about it. We do, Tony. Um, we have uh, several resources for you. I would encourage people to to visit our, our website at farsection.org. Um, the, the key resource there is that voter guide. And these cover, um, it depends on the state exactly how far down the ballot it will go. But in states like Virginia and Louisiana, these are covering the statewide races. These are covering the state Senate races, the state uh, House races, some school board races, things like that. So you can find that there. Also, you know, depending on when your voter registration deadlines are in your state, uh, there's voter registration information there you can use or you can circulate to those at your church or your community. Um, and some other resources, uh, our uh, party platform comparisons are there as well to use, educate people where the, uh, the parties are at on the major issues and some other resources like that. All right. Uh, Brent Kylan, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping by today. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. All right. So if you live in Virginia, the, uh, you have early, registra- early voting. 
already taking place. Uh, that actually started October the 16th and uh, runs for some time. And the iVoter Guide is available for you. Just go to frcaction.org. And the iVoter Guide is very user-friendly. Your address, and it will actually create for you a ballot. And it rates the candidates as to whether or not they're liberal, moderate, or conservative with supporting information. Uh, Louisiana, if uh, you happen to be a fellow Louisianian, uh, our voting, early voting starts on uh, actually this Saturday, uh, uh, September the 30th. We've got our election on October the 14th. And so early voting uh, starts the uh, 30th of September through October 7th. And we've got iVoterGuide um, resources available for you as well. So just go to frcaction.org and uh, follow the links over and use that resource. Now, one thing I'm often asked by people is, is, Tony, how can we make a difference? You know, we're just out here. We're listening to your program. We've got, you know, we may be a small church. Well, here, here's, here's the answer, all right? Everyone can do something to make a difference. And, and we've made that pretty easy for you at the Family Research Council. And here to tell you how you can tap in to this resource is Tim Throckmorton. He's the National Director for Community Impact here at the Family Research Council. Tim, welcome back to Washington Watch. Delighted to be with you, Tony. So uh, we actually have a training session coming up, and, and I want to get that out before we run out of time. Actually, next Tuesday night, national training. It'll be at 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time. You can find out more about, uh, about that. That's coming up. Uh, be, we'll be talking about ballot harvesting, which is legal in some states. We'll be talking about uh, election integrity and then, of course, how you can set up a community impact team. So, Tim, let's talk about uh, a meeting that was actually uh, held last week in Mooresville, North Carolina. Small church wanting to make a difference. Community impact team made a difference. Talk about it. Jan Wright and her great CIT team hosted an event called Eyes on Education, and they invited five panelists in, some from public school, homeschool groups, private and Christian school, charter school was represented there, and they talked about key educational issues, parental rights issues, school board issues, and had a great uh, Q&A session with all that were in attendance. They really raised the level of awareness uh, with a biblical worldview perspective and left a lasting impact. And this is just one way right there in your community you can make a difference. And we have about uh, about 8,000 of these community impact teams and churches all across the nation. How easy is it for someone in a church to start up one of these community impact teams that can impact education, their city council, right there where they live? They can go to communityimpact.frc.org. Through that site, they can get a hold of me. I will walk them through how to get one started. We've got a great manual with all the the bones. We can put the meat on the bones, if you will, to help them bring information, equipping, alerting, and mobilization to their congregations. And, and it's unique how God's using these CIT teams around the countries in, in, in different ways. They're not all the same. They're unique to their community and their state and their region. But as they pray and seek what God wants them to do, God opens the doors, and it's exciting to watch what's happening. Uh, 
And, and so that's just a matter. It, these things are very pliable. And as you said, they can be uh, adapted to that local community so that they are able to make a difference right where they are. And this is um, uh, something that you can walk them through this. It's not very difficult. It's actually quite easy to do. So it's a turnkey operation uh, through the community impact team. So talk a little bit about uh, next Tuesday night's training session, uh, what will be included in that and how people can find out more. Well, I we would love to have folks dial in and be a part of this live from wherever they are in America. If they're in Louisiana, they can join us there on site. And we'll talk through how they can start the team, how they can build the team. And it's very simple to do, as you said, Tony. We'll give them all the tools to do that. And when it comes to bringing information, we are a great source of trusted information for churches and pastors around the country. When it comes to equipping we can help provide some tools to help them bring their their church members and their congregation uh, into a level of awareness about the issues. And then there's the alerting, letting them know about the issues. We'll talk to them about how they can get uh, connected with us so they can get the alerts. And then we'll discuss how they can mobilize. And at the Community Impact Team site, we've got some great tools that will help them. There's uh, tools to help folks register to vote, to do a voter registration drive within their church. Uh, There is, I think Brent mentioned this earlier, the party platform comparison, which is a great tool uh, along with the do's and don'ts, what churches can and cannot do. And so we'll give them all the tools to help get them started. I'll be available along the way to help them. But at the event next week, we're going to lay out the simple way that churches can make a lasting impact in their community, their congregation, in their state, and and in America. All right. Well, Tim Throckmorton, I look forward to seeing you in Baton Rouge, which will be the site of uh, next week's event. Thanks so much for joining us. See you then, sir. All right. And and folks, if you're in the area, you can come. It's, uh, It's in person. You can come to our Faith and Family Chapel at the Family Research Council location in Baton Rouge. All right, here's how you can sign up, acm.frc.org slash CIT. I know it's complicated. Or just go to TonyPerkins.com and find out uh, more about how you can be a part of next week's community impact training. All right, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.